0: Hello, you're listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. My name is Reverend Nick Phillips, and today we begin a series on the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But before we begin, I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, we do indeed long for you. You are the joy giver, you are our peace in our lives. And so we gather, as we gather around your word this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all your hearts, all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. So, so here we go. I've been uh, promising, or is it threatening, promising, I guess, to that we were going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And so here we go. We're picking it up today and we're going to spend roughly the next four months, believe it or not, focusing on three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5 today. Now you think, why are we going to spend four months on this three chapters, when I could go home and read it in about 15 minutes if I took my time? Well, part of it is, is that the Sermon on the Mount, it is so rich and so full, we just want to take our time to go through it slowly, And examine all that Jesus has to say to those who are gathered as he speaks, but also to hear what he has to say to us today. Now, this first message, this first sermon that Jesus gives, is so full of, I mean, it's literally full of tips for Christian living. In fact, it's not really tips, they're instructions for Christian living in the world. How to be a person of faith, how to be a child of God. Now, the sermon also lays out the foundation upon which Jesus builds his ministry. Remember where Jesus has just come from. He has just been baptized. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying, receiving instructions about his ministry from God, his Father in heaven. And then... This is all in preparation, right? He's, he's making a career change, right? He's not a carpenter anymore. He's the savior of the world. And people think me going from computer science to ministry was a big leap. But so after he's been out in the wilderness, these training sessions, so to speak, Jesus then comes back. He recruits his disciples. He does a little bit of teaching. He heals some people of leprosy. And the crowd is starting to form around him already. They're following him around. And so he sees this crowd, he comes by the mountainside, and he stops, and he begins to teach them. Now, he starts with something that may seem a bit cryptic to us. We know of this, the, the Beatitudes, we probably recognized much of what Carol read, but do we fully understand them? Now, I'm not going to say in an, at the end of the service we're going to fully understand the Beatitudes, but we're going to take a good look at them. And see how they set up the Sermon on the Mount and what they may say to us today. So, here we begin our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let's stop and think about these Beatitudes for a moment. Think about how Jesus has laid them out before us, how he has formatted them. Blessed are you, for you shall. Think about how he's ordered them. Blessed are those, blessed are those who poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the reviled. Blessed are you, he says. Now when we look at that list, how many of those characteristics would we call blessed? Would we today or any period of history consider people who are poor, who are meek, who are persecuted as people who are blessed? Do they sound like people who are blessed by what is put forward as standards of the world today? Who do we usually refer to as blessed? Aren't they the people with wealth or health or power or influence without a lot of trouble in their lives? I mean, I woke up this morning. I was feeling pretty good. I had a decent night's sleep in my nice warm bed, in my nice warm house. I drove here in my reliable vehicle. I don't have any serious medical issues. I have a beautiful family who are all relatively healthy. I am blessed. And I suspect many of you would have similar stories to say about how you are blessed in your own lives. But, they weren't, but those things, they're not on the list that Jesus gives. Who is Jesus talking about? Who are the poor in spirit? Who are are the mourners? Who are the meek, the hungry, the merciful? Who are these people? Now, I'm not saying we can't consider ourselves blessed because we are. And just as the rich and the healthy of Jesus' day would have been considered blessed. I think Jesus is giving this list to set up his sermon by giving those who are in attendance a glimpse of what he has come to do. He's telling his audience who he has come for. There are people who are sitting there and listening to him speak, and he's saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit. And they're hearing these words, and they're saying, hey, that's me. He's talking about me. In a way, the Beatitudes make me think of the story of Job. You remember Job. Job, he was chosen as a bit of an experiment. By the devil. Job was rich. He was influential. He had a beautiful family. He had a flourishing business. He was healthy. He was strong. Job had it all, and he loved the Lord. There was, only, there was, there was no man more blessed than Job in his day. Now, the question is, how much of this love of God that Job has, how much of this blessedness is based on his possessions. The devil thought that if if Job would lose his material wealth, he would renounce his faith and curse God. So in this rare instance, God allows Job to be the guinea pig for this experiment. Job lost all his wealth. He lost his family. He lost all that he treasured in his life. It was gone. Did he curse God? No, not at all. Well, I guess it's time to turn up the pressure. Let's go after Job himself, his health. He's lost all of his possessions. Let's go for more. So Job gets filled with disease and pain and sickness. His so-called friends rallied around him and said, You've got to, you've got to, God's done terrible things to you. You've got to renounce God. You've got to curse God. But not once did he curse God. Now he had some pretty serious questions, but he did not renounce his faith and curse God. His faith was not tied to his personal wealth or his own well-being. Job has proven the devil to be wrong. Being faithful and blessed is not tied to what we traditionally tie these things to. These are the the rewards of the world. They are not heavenly rewards. So when Jesus is talking to this crowd of, of regular folk, most of whom are feeling oppressed by the governing Romans. He's telling them that there are blessings available to them. And when they hear these words, this may be the first time in a long time they have heard words of hope, maybe even in their entire lives. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus, in this crowd, he's talking to people who feel neglected, they're feeling neglected by the Romans. They're, being, they're feeling neglected by the religious leaders. They may even be, f- be feeling neglected by God. They may feel their prayers, their cries for help are being unheard. They feel defeated. They are the poor in spirit. They are those who have lost hope. Yet Jesus is telling them he has come for them. He's telling them not to give up hope. He's telling them they are a welcome in God's kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is hard to lose a loved one. It is hard to lose a job. It is hard losing friends, family. Losing a way of life is is tough, it's hard. All mourning is hard. And we can mourn the loss of a lot of things. Those of you who have been to my funerals, you've heard me say that passage probably many times. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I start my funerals with that passage. It is my hope that when the family hears these words, they realize they are from Jesus. And they're not alone in their mourning. That they will hear that hope is not lost. And I hope that they realize Jesus is talking to them. And in hearing these words, realizing that he has something to offer. Again, it's an offer of hope. A hope that there is comfort in their loss. And they will not be alone. Jesus is telling them he has come for them. And they are never alone. He will provide comfort. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The meek are people who are considered gentle. Someone who is meek is considered to uh, to be one who is not quick to take offense of of others. They are patient. They are calm. Being meek is sometimes seen as being weak. They have no backbone. They don't stand up for themselves. There's nothing wrong with being meek. And Jesus is saying that right now. If you are meek, Jesus is saying, you will inherit the earth. Why? Because someone who is meek is often open to learning and growing and humble enough to accept what God has to offer. So much more so than people who are quick to blow their lid at a little bit of irritation or disagreement. If you are meek, Jesus is saying, And many of the audience would have been considered meek. Jesus is saying that he has come for them. And they have a very important place in this world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To me, this is probably one of the more obvious of the Beatitudes. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you are one who is being treated unjustly, then you will find relief. You will be satisfied. When we look at the life of Jesus, these are the people he came for, right? The people who are treated poorly, those who are disrespected, all because they're not part of the in crowd. We We see example after example in the life of Jesus as he offers love to these people. And there's no question there are people in the audience of Jesus who hear these words and needs to hear them. Jesus says he has come for them. And they will find hope, they will find relief, their hunger will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now not unlike the meek, those who are merciful can also be seen as weak. They don't stand up for themselves, they're passive. People sometimes take advantage of them. Yet the meek, they, the merciful, they are, they are the people who are the carers. They are the compassionate. They are the comforters. Jesus says he has come for them. And they will, will see, they will receive mercy as well. They are loved and part of God's kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who are those who are full of love? Who are those who love God above all other things? The world tells us to love ourselves, watch out for ourselves, protect ourselves. Those teachings, they're not pure. They disfigure the pure heart. Jesus wants to have hearts pure, full of love for God first and foremost, above all other things. Now again, those who are pure in heart, they're seen, again, probably as weak, passive. They have no passion. They have no desire to chase after the things the world tells us we need to chase after. Jesus wants us to chase after God with pure hearts, full of love for Him and full of love from God for us, even though the world tells us differently. Jesus says to those who are of pure hearts, He has come for them. And because of their pure hearts, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. Peacemakers, is there any more difficult job in this world? I'm not talking about peacekeeping, that's a bit different. Peacemakers. Peacemakers go into conflict in an effort to create an agreement of peace between people. Peacemaking can be dangerous. It is not a role for everyone. It takes a certain skill set to go in and make peace to go in and be a mediator between two parties who are at odds with each other, maybe even at war. Peacekeeping is important. Peacekeeping is going into a place where peace, an agreement for peace has already been established and to help maintain that peace. Peacemaking is a bit more. It is creating the peace between two parties at odds. Jesus wants peacemakers He wants people who are willing to go into these difficult places just as he will over the next three years of his life, and they will go and bring peace into difficult situations. Jesus recognizes this is hard work, and the reward will be to become children of God. For those who feel called to this difficult work, Jesus tells them he has come for them and they will certainly be rewarded eternally for the work they do. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doing work to bring God's kingdom values to this earth is not easy work. And as we've already seen in the list of the Beatitudes, Jesus has pointed out that there are many people who are being asked to do work in the name of God which means there will be many times when those workers will be working against the natural tendencies of this broken world. There will be times when this work will upset people who are in power, power uh, people who make the rules, people who enforce the rules, and it will be difficult in these times. Jesus himself knows that he is going to feel the full wrath of those in power as he does his work, and he knows others will as well. This revolution begins to bring God's kingdom to this earth through those who stand up and do His work. Become part of this work and you may very well face persecution, but because you are working for God's kingdom, for God's righteousness, your kingdom belongs to God. Jesus tells those who will join Him in this work that He has come for them, and they will be with God forever. Jesus even tags on a little extra word of blessing for those people. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as we look through this list, of beatitudes, of of, of those who receive. I think there's two things we can look at before we leave here today. The first is that blessedness is not the same as holiness. It's not the same as happiness, in meaning having a, a good mood. Blessedness refers to a fortunate state of life. He's saying, if you're one of these people I've described, If you are poor in spirit, if you're meek, if you're a peacemaker and so on, he says you are fortunate. Which is interesting because as we look at those characteristics of poor in spirit, of meek, of persecuted, do we consider those people as fortunate? Often, no. Those people are unfortunate in our eyes. And Jesus tells us that's not the case. Which leads to my final point. Jesus is speaking to and about people who are seen as the bottom or near the bottom of society. They have little value, little worth. They don't have much to add to society. They're there to do their jobs and pay taxes to Rome. Let the kings, the emperors, the governors, let them handle all the important work because they have all the money, they have all the power, they have all the authority. Jesus tells them these lowly people the bottom of society they have far greater worth than emperors kings or governors because they are blessed by god jesus is setting the tone for the next 3 years of his life by stating right in the beginning he has come to flip the world's expectations upside down blessedness does not depend on wealth or social status It's not even a reward, it is a gift. Blessedness is an amazing gift from God. To receive such a gift requires humility, patience, and a steadfast love of God. Now Job, he lost it all through the test that he was given. But his love of God, his humility, his patience, through all of this, he was still blessed. And in the end, we're told God blessed him abundantly. When we seek to do do God's work in this world, when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which may call us from time to time to speak against what others may expect the world to do and be, we too will be blessed. We will be fortunate. We're fortunate that God has a great love for us, And for all others who follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It doesn't matter what social status you have. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, healthy or unhealthy. We all have a place in the work of God in this world. And may we be blessed to do it. Let us pray. Lord, we we hear you today. We hear the stories of those who struggle with faith, we struggle with with place, with meaning. But God, we hear also your call to be blessed. That even though we may be poor in spirit, even though we may feel defeated, even though we are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, if our faith is in you, if our work is done for you, we are blessed. So help us, O God, as we prepare for what is to come that we will hear your call to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the one who leads the way to blessedness and peace and love for this world and for all eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.